Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta, Pangarang and Kaerna country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today is Sunday the 15th of May 2022. We always include a community service announcement, asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively, and isolate as much as possible, and as soon as you can, to protect yourself and your community, get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this global crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Each month we bring you two fabulous episodes. On the first of each month, you'll get to hear Dr. Ian Astroblob Musgrave bring you his monthly sky guide, an astro treat for naked eye observers, telescopers and astrophotographers. And he always includes a tangent of astronomical wonder. In the middle of each month, we'll give you an interview with a noted astrophysicist, astronomer, astrophotographer, space scientist, or particle physicist. So, right now, we're zooming over to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, USA. Hello, Pujan. Hello, Brandon. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Pujan Agrawal, who is a postdoc research associate at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, USA. The focus of her research is on the lives of massive stars and their role in determining the evolution of stellar systems, stellar populations, and star clusters. And Given the rarity and short lives of massive stars, you obviously like a challenge. Thanks so much for speaking with us today, Pujan. Thank you so much. It's really nice. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. So before we look at your PhD and your current research, can you tell us where you grew up, please, Pujan, and where your passion for science and astronomy came from? So first part, where I grew up, most of my school education, most of my childhood, it was spent in this city called Lakhimpur Khiri, is in the state of Uttar Pradesh in India. It's actually a small city. It's not very big. It's mostly just villages and farms. And there's a very small city portion where my current home is. So the second part, like my passion for science and astronomy. In the beginning, it wasn't about either science or astronomy for me. It was more about doing something which nobody has done before, doing something challenging. And I'm talking about the year 2003. Now, that year, remember, it's the same the year when the space shuttle Columbia crashed upon re-entry. And one of the astronauts abroad, Kalpana Chavla, she was of Indian origin. Now, for those who don't know, Kalpana Chavla, she was the first Indian or American astronaut to go into space. And she was the second 
Indian in the way to go into space ever. Those days, forget women. Even for men, it was very difficult to become an astronaut to undertake that journey. She did that, and being a woman, it was hundred times more difficult for her to follow this journey, to follow to her passion. So when she died in that crash, Indian media covered it a lot, luckily. And uh, yeah, uh, it was my dad who uh, I didn't knew about her before, and um, or about uh, any of this thing that astronomy is a thing. I honestly didn't knew about uh, it much. Uh, February two thousand three, my dad came back from work, and he's like, "Oh, turn on TV. Columbia has crashed, and look into this." And I was like, "Why is he like?" thing like that turn on the tv and then saw about the the space shuttle sabat kalpana chavla and that was the first time got to know oh there's something known as astronomy you can study stars you can do this that and kalpana chavla like what she did i must say here that her life both her life and her death was something that inspired not just me but i think pretty much every young girl of that time she was a huge inspiration like what she was able to achieve in her life seeing her do that and of course astronomy is so amazing that i think it turned some switches on in me and i was this is it i want to become an astronaut just like her okay you've just told us you wanted to be an astronaut but yeah. how did that change right that's a good question so i think it changed for two reasons one of them was okay so i got inspired by her and i started to learn more about astronomy about the field whatever i could and i realized that growing up that i was more interested in the science part of things how things work the physical aspects rather than engineering so instead of flying up in a space shuttle doing all the engineering bits and collecting a sample of soil on mars which i think would be still be pretty great but i felt like this just it was not something that resonated with me for me things like why is that star shining more than other ones why are these stars in this pattern why there are more stars here and not in the other parts these little things i think when i started to think about them these were the question that excited me more So I think it was over the course yeah I wanted to be an astronaut and everything but as I took that path I took that journey I realized that my interest was slightly shifted and I wanted to rather become a scientist I rather wanted to study the science behind things rather than the engineering aspect so that's how it changed great questions okay So after your school career you completed your bachelor of science in physics maths and astronomy at the University of Lucknow in India then you completed your masters of science degree in physics at Pune University then your doctorate at Swinburne University down in Melbourne Australia before heading over to the states for your postdoc now was world travel always part of your game plan it's funny you ask that because there was never a plan i mean um, all i knew growing up that and it was again something i learned because kalpana chavla did it that i have to finish my education i have to get an 
bachelor's degree in science, a master's, a PhD, and a postdoc. That's what I knew, that in order to be become an astronaut, you need all these higher education degree. How I'm going to do it, what are the places I can do uh, these things? Honestly, this is something I think I might have done better if I knew what were the options I had, especially the transition from school to college. There was uh, not much guidance, like not many people knew and about what options I had. And honestly, have missed so many opportunities back then just because I didn't knew they existed. Nobody was there to tell me. Internet was still becoming a thing. So you couldn't, like these days, you just type things on internet and you have pretty much answered. Like Google is the answer to everything. It wasn't the case back then. But yeah, this is something I think I a little bit missed in my life. If there was somebody who could have told me about this very different career option, yeah, then maybe my journey would have been different. But I think... Having said all that, I am really happy and in a way it's very humbling that despite that really crooked path I took, I, 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 in the last few years, I have been able to work with some of the very brilliant minds in astronomy, some of the very top scientists. So I would say, yeah, it worked out well in the end. Okay. Well, let's talk about those people that have supported you. Could you tell us about some of the people who've inspired and supported your science journey? Right. Okay, let's break it down into two parts. So people that inspired me and people that supported me. In terms of inspiration, I think I'm one of those people who get inspired very easily. But lately I've been observing that there's a pattern in the people whom, like, who really impressed me. And that's this thing that all the people, and especially women, who didn't follow the rules set out for them by society, by their culture and norms, who made their own path, who did something different and against what other people said, against all the issues they would have faced, who just set out to make their own path, do their own thing, be it a career choice or even simple thing like having a really short hairstyle. Things like that, where you just do it because you want to do it. I think those people, are, they inspire me the most. Now, in terms of people who supported me, this is where I would say my friends and family while I was growing up, they did the best they could to help me out. They have been such a big support. And even along the way, all these different researchers I have met, my PhD supervisors, my current supervisor, Carl Rodriguez, each of these people, they have been really great encouraging me for the work. And honestly, I think the best part I like each one of them, that they support me, not because I'm a woman or a girl or anything. They just support me because I do good work. I think that's something I'm really proud about. Very good. And later on, we'll talk about some of the people that you support. Now, let's have a look at your PhD thesis, Massive Stars and Gravitational Waves, Bridging the Gap with a New Method for Rapid Stellar Evolution. Now, you've identified in your thesis some serious limitations in the current modelling systems, and you've developed a new modelling system that allows fellow researchers 
to easily use different sets of stellar evolution tracks computed with different input parameters. Now, supercomputers are amazing and they can now do more accurate simulations of our observed universe. We can't go into the details of your thesis here, unfortunately, Pujan, but could you tell us about your use of models in your research and why modeling is so powerful as a research tool? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay, so I think I'll start with talking about massive stars. Now, when I say massive stars, I'm talking about stars which are at least nine, ten times as massive as our sun and could be even more, hundred times, thousand times more massive. Now, these stars are pretty rare in the universe. We know a lot more about stars like our sun. I mean, mostly it's because our sun is so close that we can study it. And also all these sun-like stars are so much in abundance. They evolve, they live their life slowly. So we can observe them in the different stages of their life. And we can we have a very good picture of how they evolve. But for massive stars, this is not the case. Now, this is where modeling comes in. Because we have very few snapshots of their lives, we uh, try to model using the different physics we know that, okay, this could be happening and try to compare it with models. The problem with massive stars is that whenever we do see them, we do not see them in isolation. They are often a part of something bigger. They are either a part, they have a companion stars as part of a binary, they might be in triple system or as part of clusters and so on. So the massive stars do like company. And now this is where things become tricky because when we uh, look at modeling these stellar system like binary stars or star clusters, we do not have very good models of massive stars there. Those simulation, most of them, I won't say all because it, it, the picture has been changing, uh, like it has changed a lot in the past decade, but still most of these simulations still use these really old models that were, they were computed by my PhD supervisors for his PhD. So that is something now I'm trying to change. I'm ch changing the way we model stellar evolution, mostly so we can incorporate these newer models of massive stars, compare them with observation and learn more about massive stars and star clusters or binaries like both. Very good. I'm just blown away by all that. That's great. Now, Back to your travels, early career astronomers often have to face the challenge of finding a suitable postdoc position. Can you tell us, because we know there's lots of postdocs and young early career astronomers listening to you as we speak, could you tell us how you came to make that move from Melbourne over to Pittsburgh? Okay, I think I'll start by saying this. I was very lucky and I will explain that why I said lucky. So when I was doing my PhD, I had a mentor, her name was Michelle, and she once said this to me, that by the time uh, people start doing PhD, they have, they're already like, they have excelled in their like education and everything. So by the time you start doing your PhD, you're already one of the best, very highly educated, one of the like, you know, top students, yeah, you're really good. In order to even join a PhD, it's, it's not easy. So if you have made it to that part, you're already excellent. You are talented. 
by the time you finish your PhD, you're definitely a very talented and highly educated person. So when it comes to postdoc appointments, uh, the recruiters, like the supervisors, they know that all the CVs they're going to get, they're going to be excellent. And honestly, take any CV. I mean, even now I look at other people's CV and I get this imposter syndrome. They are so amazing. So one thing that really matters while you're applying for a postdoc position is how well your research interests match with the person you're applying to, to the person who will be supervising you. And that is how good your ideas are, how you're selling yourself. You might have something really good idea, but the supervisor or the, the person in front, they might not be interested in doing that. They think, oh, this is good, but I'm, I want to do something else. So how well it resonates, how well you can connect with your, the person who will be recruiting you, I think is good. In my case, when I said lucky, well, I actually got two offers for postdoc position and both of them were pretty amazing. This particular one, I actually want to share something from my, that interview. My current supervisor, when he was interviewing me, he said this, that, see, I want somebody who knows stellar evolution and who can change, who can help me model stellar evolution better in star cluster code. And I just said one thing that, you know what? That's exactly what I do. I, I know stellar evolution. I know a little about star cluster as well, but how to connect the two, that's where my ex- expertise lie. And honestly, that moment, I think we both knew that, yeah, this, this is, we are going to do it. Like this, I will be in. So yeah, that's why I, I would say lucky. So I think, yeah, I mean, to all those people, if you're not getting a postdoc position, just to never think, not for a moment think that you're not good enough. By the time you do a PhD, you are pretty good. It's just a matter of time and the right opportunity to come along, uh, the right person who would be interested in your work and you will be interested in their work. And yeah, then you will have the postdoc position. Easy. Fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned luck. It also sounds like you put a lot of hard work into it. And you did some rather clever research there in finding the most suitable position and the most suitable scientists who might end up supervising you. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, a bit of luck, but also I think there's a lot of levels in there. Okay, can we talk about your current work and your research schedule? This is the section where we invite our listeners to put on their propeller hats and look into some of the fine details of your work as an astrophysicist. What's the big picture you're looking at? You've mentioned it briefly. And technically, what is the most puzzling and challenging or exciting work that you're currently doing? Right. Again, let's break down your question into two parts. So my current work schedule. Well, the one thing that I have changed, that's something I learned observing other postdocs while I was doing my PhD, was to get more of work-life balance. So worked only during office hours and have some time off work in the evening. So whatever, whenever it suits you. During my PhD, I was more of a night owl. So I would work throughout the night. And 
yeah then my my mornings would actually begin at noon or 1 pm 2 pm so they were already late but then i would be working until like 4 5 in the morning so that was my schedule and thanks to my supervisor i was able to keep up with pretty much of it like he would always keep meetings in the afternoon here uh, yeah i'm trying to change that i want to be more work during the office hours in terms of research now i'm still continuing a lot of work that i did for my phd so still looking at the stellar evolution part but now i am thinking more from a binary evolution and star cluster perspective so in this whole goal of connecting stellar evolution and star clusters let's just say i did more of stellar evolution part in my phd and now i am doing more of this work in this like binary and star cluster evolution that part here so i have consider like two pillars on two sides of a road so now i'm making a bridge between the two so i constructed a little bit of bridge from this end now i'm constructing a little bit of bridge from the other end and in there somewhere they will meet and we will have the complete picture <laughs> that's a fantastic analogy okay look Good luck with the rest of your massive star research and building that bridge. It sounds like you've got a great career and a research trajectory mapped out for you and you've got some great scientists to work with. Right now, it might be a good time to ask how the current worldwide COVID-19 crisis has impacted on your work as a scientist or your life as a um a postdoc well not much as a postdoc because i recently joined the postdoc and now I, we can all safely say that things are going back to normal like new normal but i think we are pretty much in a good situation now but the part where covid-19 affected me the most my uh, work was when i was finishing up my phd so writing the thesis anybody who has ever written a thesis or has done a phd would can can say that how stressful that time is trying to wrap up everything your work is still going on but you have to wrap up you have to write all this really big document find jobs and everything it is a really stressful time and it was heavily compounded that with covid-19 it was heavily impacted so i would when you go to office when you meet your colleagues that's um, that's the little relaxing time you get so like when you're writing a thesis you're pretty much living on survival mode which is you eat drink sleep or whatever necessary and apart from that you just work so those little moments when you interact with colleagues it's really good like those little jokes when you are waiting for coffee or something so all those things were taken out so i was just left with the survival mode it was very difficult to finish my phd even like little things like because a lot of my work is programming so often when i needed help just taking help from my supervisors it was very difficult over the zoom they tried their best but still it's, it's not the same having like an in person interaction so that something i would say covid 19 affected me a lot also my move from australia to here because when i left melbourne it was still in lockdown and very simple things like arranging a box to transport all the stuff to ship everything even simple things like that were very difficult so 
yeah in that way it affected me a lot but i think now it is better and hopefully it will stay that way very good we'll cross our fingers and we completely understand the challenge of getting all of those citations done correctly in a phd it must drive you crazy sometimes now You've been doing amazing outreach work as well for over a decade now. Um, you've done National Science Days activities back in India. You've done Skype a Scientist. Uh, you've been working with Indigenous students. You've done physics in the pub, which I think is fantastic, and demonstrating astro virtual reality for students. And while you're at Swinburne, you won both the Director's Outreach Award and the Outreach Superstar Award during your time as a PhD. Can you tell us about that passion for research and what's coming up next for you and why is it so important to you? Right. So this is something I get from my father. He was in Indian Air Force. He did that job for 20 years. But while I was growing up, he actually left the job and then became a teacher. So most of my childhood, I have seen him as a teacher. I would uh, see like how when he will teach, how his students will become excited. And they were like, wow, I don't know, maybe subconsciously I absorbed that. And now I think when I do outreach, the one thing that I really, that really is satisfying for me is when I'm able to give that feeling of wow to my audience. So whenever, and especially with virtual reality, I think it's very easy uh, when people wear those headsets. Like I have seen very young kids to even professional astronomers wear those headsets, see things in virtual reality and say, wow. And even otherwise, like when I'm giving a talk, I show them some image or tell them a fact and they, they sit there and they're like all amazed, especially young kids. I think that is something very gratifying for me and um, honestly sitting on the other side is also very nice like when you sit there and you say wow I think yeah that's something I really really like and I think that motivates me a lot to do outreach uh, mostly like my outreach has been in astronomy but anytime I am on the stage talking to somebody or all these audience yeah if I can make them like say wow for at least one thing, be it like any video, any image, any plot I'm showing or something I just said, like, yeah, that is something really, really, I don't know, it's really amazing for me. Yeah. And seeing that penny drop in the audience to see them go, wow. And to see that sudden understanding. Yes, it's fantastic from both the, uh, the audience's point of view and from the presenter's point of view. Fantastic. So, now you've landed at Carnegie Mellon, and what does the rest of 2022 look like for you? It all sounds like a lot of challenges, building that bridge in your research, interesting colleagues, and lots of work to do. I hope you don't have to work till five o'clock in the morning. Plus a change in local culture. Do you get some time off to go exploring Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania? Do you have any plans? Right. Yeah, I actually, so as I said, like I'm trying to do more of this work-life balance. And I think that's something, again, COVID has 
taught me that you should explore uh, the places while you can because I wasn't able to explore Melbourne as much as I would have wanted to. So at Pittsburgh, I think, yeah, I have, within Pittsburgh, like I'm, I have explored a lot and it's still ongoing because winters have just ended here. So it's springtime, it's a nice weather to go out. So yeah, that I do get on, on the weekends. I definitely try to go out and go in, every time go in some different direction and explore like a new part of Pittsburgh. So in terms of rest of 2022, it is actually very busy. I mean, it, it doesn't happen so often, but this year is pretty much all planned out and like until the end of the year. I have a lot of travel coming up. I have been um, asked to, uh, I've been invited for many um, talks and conferences. So I think that's something I'm really looking forward to being able to travel and meet people again. So yeah, that is there in, even in terms of work because of the travel, like my, see, when you travel and when you go to conferences, you're still working, but that's different to your main work. You always have like, when we're traveling, you also have to plan out for the rest of the time. Okay, you have this much time for travel, which is taken out from your main research. How will you manage it? So, yeah, um, my rest of the year is like pretty busy with all the building the bridge thing. And yeah, definitely meeting all the people and learning stuff. Fantastic. Okay, thank you. Now, the microphone's all yours at this stage, and you have the opportunity to give us your favorite rant or rave about one of the challenges that we face in science or science denialism or career paths or equity, um, diversity, our quest for new knowledge. The microphone's all yours. Oh, that's a, that's a really good opportunity. And honestly, I have many fans, but I think the one that I would like to discuss today is something about sustainable living. So now we know that how much human presence, especially in like last century or so, has affected environment, like how much pollution we have created, plastic, no doubt one of the most useful invention of all times is also the, like, the most important hazard right now. And definitely climate change is real, like it's happening. So all these, we, we know all this is happening, but we still continue to deny this. Like we, this is something that surprises me that how can people continue to live their life as if nothing is happening? If nothing is the same as ever. And honestly, when it comes from somebody who is like from lower sections of the society who hasn't gone to school or something like that, honestly, when it comes from that, maybe I can understand that they didn't they don't know about the importance of all these things. But when I see researchers, when I see people who have done PhDs, who are like highly educated, when I see teachers, when they do not understand the importance of sustainable living, that's something, I, I don't know, I don't get it. I mean, I'm not saying that to save water, you shouldn't shower for a week. That would be bad. You sh they, they should be use of something. I mean, for example, take again, taking the plastic bag example. Plastics are useful. And that like so many, you can really get good stuff out of it. How can we minimize the use of plastic? 
how can we just just carrying like a simple bag with you every time you go for grocery shopping how difficult is that it would be nice if our people understood that and small steps you don't have to go all crazy with sustainable living although that would also be good but even taking little step little things you know it will add up so yeah that i think is my biggest rant for today we have to do better we know we have to do better and we can do better we've just got to spread that message around as much as we can and you've just done that okay well thanks pujan is there anything else that we should watch out for in the near future what are you keeping your eye on um so I think right now I am a little bit just trying to, as I said, build that bridge. That's something uh, uh, is like very uh, important for me right now. But I think, yeah, all these new opportunities that are coming up to see the space, like all these new telescope missions, JWST is finally out there. And I'm really excited to see what it brings all these amazing projects we'll be having very soon um uh, the newer observing runs of LIGO and Virgo and now we will even have Kagra joining this club so yeah I mean I think even in the last decade in terms of astronomy we have been able to make a lot of progress and I think near future uh, we will have better observations coming up and that's really important because when we have better observation, we try to build better models for all these astronomical objects. And the good thing about these models are they aren't just used in, uh, in astronomy. Once built, all you have to do is develop a way, develop an idea. They can then be applied to more everyday problem, more common things. So yeah, I mean, I think, and maybe who knows, we might be able to find way of even uh, combating climate change or at least make our earth a little less polluted you know how i do not know how good or bad it is but i've seen how they can uh, there's technology how you can make roads out of plastic so you combine it with mortar and then use it on road so yeah i mean simple things like uh, in which we can change the world yes. i think that's something uh, yeah, my eyes are set on in the long term. So some great things to keep our eye on. We're in perilous times and we're also in very exciting times. Thanks, Poojan. Thank you so much, Dr. Poojan Agrawal. On behalf of our listeners, it's been really fabulous speaking with you. You really are a superstar. Thank you so much. Thanks especially for your time. I'm Glad we arranged um, not to talk at 2 o'clock in the morning at 2 a.m. <laughs> but I, I do appreciate you've got a busy schedule. And I hope you continue to have a marvellous time at Carnegie Mellon with your postdoc. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. And thank you for giving not just me this opportunity to talk about myself and my work, but I have I listened to other podcasts as well. And I think getting to know about other people's lives, like uh, my fellow researchers, 
I think it was really nice to know where they are coming from, their life experiences. So thank you for making this possible. Thank you for all the hard work. Thank you. We'll see you again. And if you are out in Australia at some time, I'll look forward to meeting you. Definitely. Thank you, Brandon. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored, and we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com. And for observers and astrophotographers, always check out Dr. Ian Musgrave's Astroblogger website. We'll see you in two weeks when we'll bring you Ian's June Sky Guide. Radio Wave!